Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Hello, and welcome to a Marketing Experiments Web Clinic. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to talk about offline marketing, online marketing, and how we can get the two to work together most powerfully. So if you joined us last time for our how to make the business case for testing web clinic, you know how these work. But if you're new, and, and since we're talking about offline marketing, we might have some new people on. I just want to walk you through and let you know how this is different than your traditional webinar. So for one thing, we, have, we finally have a big uh, variety of audience from, from newer online marketers and newer marketers to some very experienced marketers. So what you're going to see us talk about, what you're going to hear us talk about, what you're going to see on the screen, we're trying to split the difference, okay? We're trying to go down the middle so the experienced marketers get some value. We're not talking too far over the heads of people who are new to us. But we have ways for you to get just exactly what you want out of this. And one thing to do is hop on Twitter. Use hashtag WebClinic. And if you have a question, put it out there. If you're an experienced marketer, you have a lot of insight that we're not covering, help, help those less experienced marketers out. We're also going to have many members of our Marketing Experiments team on there. Another thing we're going to do, you can use the Q&A feature on GoToWebinar. You can ask us questions. We might not be able to answer all of them during the call, but we have a lot of people on the line right now trying to answer them. Among those is Arturo Silva. He is a research analyst. He's nice enough to join us today. He was hands-on, very deep into some of the research we're going to cover. So if you have some specific questions, he's going to hop on. And our director of science is Bob Kemper is even on. He was supposed to be in Paris this week, but he told me that he, he decided to cancel his trip to Paris just to be on this web clinic answering questions. He mumbled something about a volcano. I don't, I don't really think that was the real reason. He loves these web clinics. I'm Daniel Bursey. I'm the editor of Marketing Experiments. I'm going to be your host, your gracious host, try to walk you through everything and, and make sure you get what you need out of it. On the phone, calling in from Tampa, Florida, is Jimmy Ellis, our director of optimization. He's one of the people who's been here the longest. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Good. How's it going? Good. And the one thing you notice about Jimmy, not only does he know optimization inside and outside, He's basically the Casey Kasem of marketers. He's got one of those warm voices that's just going to lull you in and, and walk you through all the teachings we have today. With me right here in our Marketing Experiment Studios in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, we have Gina Townsend, the Senior Manager of Research and Strategy. How are you doing, Gina? Good. Sorry we couldn't fit strategy on there, but uh, Gina, <laughs> Gina does that as well. And also we have Corey Trent, Research Analyst. Corey is a master with metrics. How are you doing, Corey? Doing well. How about yourself, Daniel? I'm doing pretty good. I can't wait to hear what you have to say today. Okay, let's talk about what we're going to be covering today. We'll talk about what we're going to be covering today. We're going to be answering five questions for you, okay? These are the five questions that we think are most applicable to making offline and online marketing work together. Today we're going to show you a recent experiment we conducted, which we have never shown before to our online audience. And as we mentioned in our blog today, if you go to marketingexperiments.com slash blog, you can see a preview of that research. It focuses on the connection between offline and online marketing efforts. The second question we're going to answer, we will talk about the strategic ways we've discovered to connect offline media to our online efforts and to generate the greatest response from your audience. We're also going to talk about a serious threat that online, I'm sorry, a serious threat that offline efforts can have on online testing if they go unmonitored and how you can guard against that. We'll have a segment today with a practical hands-on look at how to set tools for monitoring your offline efforts. And finally, we will look at not only how offline campaigns affect your online campaigns, but we'll take an interesting look at how your online campaigns can impact your offline campaigns. It works both ways. So let's set up why we're talking about this. Okay, look at this chart. This is a great chart. We've talked about this before. And one thing you'll notice if you're an online marketer, which excites me, the explosive growth in online marketing. Right now in 2010, we're talking about 13% of marketing dollars are going towards an interactive spend. 2014, it's going to grow to 21%. Huge growth. We see this not only with specific numbers like this, but anecdotally. For example, Pepsi moving one-third of their marketing spend online to digital marketing, social media efforts. They, they stood up the Super Bowl to move online, and that came directly from their CEO. That's all very exciting. But, but if you look at the flip side of that real quick, okay, Pepsi, that still means that two-thirds of their spending is offline. If you look at in 2010, this still means 87% of marketing dollars are still spent offline. So we know as ROI-based marketers, the best way to get value, to get real true strong ROI value is to work tightly with what's going on offline. Because your customers, they don't see something's going on online, something's going on offline. They just see what's going on with your company and your brand. So we're going to ask you today to tear down that wall. 
which brings up a question we want to ask you. Is that wall the biggest problem? Is that the biggest obstacle facing you when, you've, when you have to try to integrate online or offline campaigns? Number three, gaining internal support. Is that your biggest challenge? Let us know. Fill out the poll that's going to come up on your screen. Or are you having problems with number one, integrating test strategies, finding out how to make offline and online work together and testing? Or two, connecting the messaging. Let us know what your problems are. And uh, if, if your problem isn't on here, let us know that too. Use your Q&A feature. Tell us why you voted, what you voted for, and let us know as the poll results come in. Let's see. And let's see. So, there, so wow, the winner, tracking and measuring results. Daniel, Daniel, we failed. We failed miserably. Uh, yeah, I know, I'm as surprised as you are, Jimmy, because we, we took a little poll beforehand. Gina, Jimmy, and myself, we thought it was number three, gaining internal support. And, and Corey, our metrics man. I might be a little bit biased, though. Not surprisingly, <laughs> our biased metric man to track and measure results. Well, you're, you're in luck if, if that's one of your major problems today because Corey's going to go in depth and he's going to cover a lot, a lot of that for you. But first, I have an explanation that will make us sound smarter. So because they cannot track and measure results, they can't get the internal support they need. There you go. We have the perfect answer. I like what you're saying, Jimmy. And, and, so, so, and Jimmy, he's going to hop in now and kick things for, off for us. And we're going to ask him, Jimmy, how much do our offline campaigns impact our online campaigns? So, so that's a fantastic question, and I'm sure uh, almost everyone on the, on the line kind of has an idea of, of what they would do or have some smart input. But as you probably uh, know, that we don't, we don't like to make assumptions over here. Uh, too many times we make assumptions uh, what our customers do is not what we think they're going to do, and they're wrong, and we're missing out on significant gains. Uh, so, you know, we wanted to figure out, uh, you know, how can we run some tests to measure the impact uh, that our offline campaigns are having online? And so to do that, we partnered with uh, one of our, or worked with one of our research partners that does a lot of direct mail, and Gina Townsend and Arturo Silva uh, help manage and run those tests. So I'm going to have Gina run through the actual case studies, which shows you uh, screenshots and, and how we connected the campaigns. Go ahead, Gina. Go ahead, Gina. Thanks, Jimmy. This is actually a really great example. With this experiment, we were working with a large news publication service that offered home delivery services. We were testing a page that offered a weekend-only edition product. The goal of these tests were to increase the amount of subscriptions. The test design was an A-B split test of a landing page and its subsequent registration process. Here's the control in the page we were testing. One item to note is that the page had already undergone a series of tests and, we've, and we'd greatly improved it. However, since the research partner had direct mail efforts, we wondered how much, if any, of those efforts impacted this page. So we set out to design a test that would help us gauge the impact of offline efforts. The research partner's direct mail efforts had campaign-specific URLs that could be tracked. But one item that we wondered was how many of the people who received the direct mail piece didn't follow the instructions and went straight to the website and found their way to the generic product page we were testing. So we tested this hypothesis. We took some of the imagery from the direct mail creative and inserted it into the landing page. We tested this specifically when the direct mail campaign was launched and people were receiving the message in their mailboxes. All right, so let's take a look at the actual direct mail creative. Here's the direct mail piece for the specific product offer. Notice on the left-hand side we have that image outlined, and then over on the right-hand side next to the form, there's the handwritten imagery. All right, so let's take a look at the treatment landing page. So what we did was we replaced the image of the dog with the image from the direct mail piece. We did this to try and create relevance for those coming from the direct mail to this generic product page. As you can see here, the treatment path also included the handwritten imagery from the direct mail piece. This was a really small change, but again, it created continuity in the messaging and field of the sign-up. So here are the control and treatment side by side. All right, and let's take a look at the results. This test reported a 124% increase. It's a significant increase and clearly demonstrates the potential impact and effect of offline efforts to our online campaigns. It's important to note here that the 124% increase was not a continued increase. After the two weeks the direct mail piece was in circulation, the conversion rate for the treatment went back down to non-significant difference levels. It was only during the direct mail efforts that the impact of the treatment was felt. 
So that's a lot to think about, Gina. For, for a marketer at home to make this work, they really have to tie in closely, understand what they're doing online and offline and how those things work together, right? Exactly. All right, Jimmy, you think you can give us a broad map for us and, and let us know how we can do that? You know, when a, when a customer is out there experiencing messaging from your company, they do not see it in the disconnected pieces that you want them to with separate campaigns and separate objectives and different things you're trying to do. It all becomes part of one messaging. So, you know, the first key principle is that there's a significant opportunity to improve your online response rates by closely connecting the offline and online campaigns, but you have to identify where the overlap happens and then connect it in a way that it's really seamless. So it's almost like uh, the way I, I compare it, it's almost like you start, a conversation offline, and then you continue that conversation online. And if they're all part of the same conversation, you're going to see this overlap and you can get a significant gain. So what you saw in this test, and I know we went through it a little bit quick. We're going to, we're going to slow down and show you those screenshots again in a couple minutes here. Um, but we made some relatively small changes just by matching up uh, the style of the copywriting, the images that we were using, and how the whole process flowed together, and we got like a triple-digit increase in response, which was uh, which was pretty cool. Um, and, and this is also I'm going to bring up the same point. We provided tracking URLs, or, or they provided tracking URLs in the direct mail pieces, so they could hopefully track the channel separately, you know, direct mail separate from their online campaigns or anything else. But people still were clicking around their website and got off of those tracking pages and found other ways to order. Uh, and so, you know, being able to measure all these pieces is also really important. So what we know is the overlap's going to happen whether you want it to or not, and it's up to you to connect the pieces and achieve a higher response rate. So in terms of your own marketing, if you're doing offline and online, you know, how much of your current traffic is, is being affected by your offline campaigns? Uh, my, my guess is it's pretty significant. Well, that's a good point, Jimmy. I just want to touch on something real quick. That, that probably comes with the maturation of online marketing, right? At first, when websites were new and someone saw, uh, you know, a specific URL, they thought they might have had to have gone to that URL, right, to get whatever value you're providing. But now, people are savvy enough, right? They know, hey, I'm just going to go to the website. I don't care about your URL. I don't care about what you're tracking. I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. No, absolutely. It happens all the time. It's, it's funny is that there's also some crossover into affiliate marketing. For example, when, when, when a customer might see a, an affiliate-related link and they see the tracking link, a lot of times they'll just go in and type in the, the link without the tracking piece just to see where it goes. <laughs> it throws all, kinds of, throws all kinds of metrics off. So we're back to, to, to exactly what you're probably thinking. So how the heck do we connect the offline campaigns to our, our online efforts? And so uh, we're going to bring you to our famous formula that we've used. So uh, if, you, if you've been with us a long time, you've seen the conversion index many, many, many times. And in and, and this particular example, uh, we're focused on the motivation of the user, uh, which is the most influential element in the formula. Um, it's basically uh, the fact that different channels of traffic, online, offline, pay-per-click, email, all those different channels have different levels of motivation, which means you're going to get a different conversion rate, a different response rate, and stuff like that from different sources of traffic. So just like a visitor from an, off, uh, you know, an offline campaign is just another channel coming to your web page, um, we need to understand what's motivating them and then be as relevant. So we need to understand why they're trying to offer, what they're looking for, what problems they have, and then, like I said, connect those motivations to their online experience as well. So the offline piece connects directly to the online piece, and the more relevant we can be, the greater response we're going to see. So once again, I'm going to use the same example. You're starting a conversation offline, and you're trying to continue that same conversation right where they left off with your online experience. Let's take a look at the actual uh, example we have here. So, so you know, in our example, you know, once we understood what was relevant to the motivations with our direct mail piece, we've used that same messaging, the same images, to connect all three pieces. So if you see in this example, on the left was the actual direct mail piece, and the middle is the actual uh, landing page, and on the right-hand side is the actual sign-up and order form, and you're going to see that same conversation, that same messaging being used throughout. So it's not just as simple as, as paste, paste, paste. It's a little more complex than that, but it's the same conversation. We also ran 
uh, in addition to this example, we had run another test that, that plugs right into this, and Gina's team also ran this test, and I'm going to have her run you through it. All right, thanks again, Jimmy. Here's another example we pulled from a project with one of our, our research partners, as Jimmy had mentioned. It's an example of how we connected a television ad with an online landing page. This television ad in particular aired on multiple cable networks. It mainly directed people offline to call in on the phone. However, there was still an online component that many prospects used to learn more about the offer. Let's first take a look at what not to do, and then we'll take a look at what to do. All right. So what not to do? It's just not optimal to send your offline traffic to a generic home page. We see this all the time, and this is exactly what this research partner was doing. People are spending millions of dollars offline to generate traffic, and yet they send them to a generic page that has no connection to what they originally saw. If there's one thing that you can take away from the clinic today that you can immediately apply to your campaign, it is this. Be as channel specific as possible. By sending people from the television ad to a generic home page, there is a significant disconnect, and I'm certain you will lose many people at the home page. All right, so since we've looked at what not to do, let's take a look at what we did and what you should be doing. Here's the same television ad on the left, and we've included on the right the channel-specific landing page that was created to connect directly to the offline campaign. The message of this page ties directly to the video. There's even a similar video here on the new landing page in the upper left-hand corner of it. The offer is simple and matches directly to the TV ad. What we want you to understand with this example is how you connect offline media online. Very cool. I'm going to add, I'm going to add another piece to what Gina just said because we've, we've done quite a few of these uh, uh, offline online tests. And, and one of the things that we see a lot of times is people will have, for example, we work with a company that sold, sold up magic supplies like magic tricks, magic cards, stuff like that, and they're running a lot, of, uh, a lot of commercials and infomercials and stuff like that, and we're trying to figure out the best landing page uh, in order form for them. And originally they were sending people you know, to a landing page that had to resell them uh, on what they saw uh, on the TV commercial and then to an actual order form. Uh, but the problem was, you know, in terms of connecting that conversation, uh, they were starting the conversation all over again online. So in terms of their, their TV ad and infomercial, we're like, well, why don't you just send them to an order form that reemphasizes the actual products that they were shown, so a picture of the actual magic supplies and stuff like that, that reemphasizes the same offer, same incentives, and then just hit them with the actual sign-up form right on the page. So it was a specific landing page size order form just for their TV campaigns and commercials, and, and that worked much better than the traditional way, which is going to a landing page and an order process and stuff like that. So in terms of it plugs right into this slide, right into what Gina just said is uh, what we're looking at here. Uh, it's something we've shown in one of our previous web clinics, uh, and it's basically that for every step in a conversion process, so online and offline is the same thing, and online, offline and online is the same thing, step to step, there's what we call a moment of orientation. And that's where the user has about five seconds to figure out two questions. The first one is, where am I at? And the second one is, what can I do here? So in the TV example ad that Gina just went over, uh, on, on the what not to do, you sent someone from a TV ad to a home page. In the second example, it went from the TV ad to a landing page that specifically connected to the TV ad. So there was no loss. There's no, uh, you know, the moment of, of orientation was clear. And, and our, our key kind of piece of this is if your customer cannot quickly get clarity on the connection between your campaigns, uh, you will be uh, back-clicked into oblivion, which means they're going to be confused. They're not going to feel comfortable moving forward. It's not going to make sense to them, and they're going to hit the back button before you can, uh, before you can respond. Well, let's go to our next question. Before we, do, we do, before we jump ahead to the next question, we're getting a bunch of uh, questions from our, our listeners, and I just want to make sure from our audience, uh, I try to keep you on your toes, Jimmy, but uh, we want to get at least one of them answered. Uh, this, this would be for uh, you, Gina. I think you can answer it about the uh, television campaign we just saw with the home pages. She said, how did people get to the specific landing page for the TV ad test? Is there a vanity URL? How were they driving traffic? Yeah, there was a URL on the... Um the TV ad, and it, it was a vanity URL, but it drove people just to the home page. It wasn't a, a landing page specific. So it was just, page. A, it was just a random redirect that, that drove people to the home page. Exactly. Okay. 
substitute mine. All right, Jimmy, let's move ahead now with the next question. What negative impact can offline media have online? Back to you. Well, well, sure. Let's let's hit the next slide, and, and we'll talk about some negative impact that can happen between these campaigns and when you're trying to connect them. This, this is directly from our online testing course. If you want to learn more information, go to the link at the bottom. But I'm bringing it up because it's so crucial in terms of trying to make sense of the whole overlap online and offline. So uh, there are six primary threats to testing validity that we usually cover. Uh, here's, the, here's the six. Selection effects, sampling distortion, maturity effect, history effect, instrumentation, and mortality. Uh, the one we're focused on here is the history effect. And that's basically when uh, the effect of a dependent variable by an extraneous variable associated with the passage of time. What, what that means is uh, during a short period of time, your results went wacky. Uh, and when your results went go wacky, you got to figure out what happened. Was it something offline? Was it something online? Did someone change your landing pages? Did someone change your pay-per-click campaigns? Did, someone, uh, did one of your comp competitors launch a campaign that had an impact on your actual results? So uh, that, that, when you have problems like that, you need to take note and try to associate with them with some other outside influence that could cause a history effect, what we call the history effect, and invalidate your test results. Uh, we actually have a case study that will let us show you an example of this. So this is uh, a company that we've been working with for a long time. They have an uh, online sex offender registry service. Which basically, you type in your zip code, and it will show you where sex offenders are located in your area. And we, we've worked heavily with them on their paid search and landing pages. And uh, we were running a test to figure out which headlines are going to produce the best uh, click-through rate for them. And uh, let me show you the ads. So what you're seeing on the screen is four ads that we're testing. Uh, the test was run over about seven days, got about 55,000 impressions. Here's the four ads. So, so just look at the headlines. Don't worry about the rest of them because they're all the same. The headlines are child predator registry, predators in your area, is your child safe, and find child predators. And, you know, you might be thinking, oh, this one works the best, or this one didn't work the best. And, you know, we wanted to test and find out. And so here's what happened during our test. Hit the next slide, Dan. So, so here we go. This is a screenshot of what happened. Uh, Dateline NBC ran a show called To Catch a Predator that was viewed by about 10 million individuals. Uh, the problem with, with this uh, Dateline NBC show is that they refer to sex offenders as predators to these 10 million people. And so uh, immediately afterwards, uh, thousands of people began to search on Google and all the major search engines for predators instead of sex offenders. Uh, so what happened was it made a dramatic difference in the click-through rate of our campaigns. So let's take a look at the next slide, and you'll see the results. Uh, do you notice that uh, here's the four headlines, and all three that have predators in them have a significantly higher click-through rate than the one without predators. And going even further, the first headline that, has, that starts with predators uh, had an even more significant increase in click-through rate over the second two that had predators. So uh, what does this mean? Well, it gave us a short-term increase in click-through rate that would skew the results of our test and potentially lead us to make a very critical error thinking that uh, predators in your area is the best headline to go with uh, long-term, whereas it's only uh, it only has an impact during this short-term period, and that's it. And so this external historic type of effect, this effect of the Stateline MPC, this external factor, uh, invalidated uh, traditional test results and, and basically making really smart business decisions with your pay-per-click ads during a short period of time. So that is what happened with the Dateline MBC story. If you go to the next slide, what you're going to see is kind of what we're looking for in terms of detecting these changes. Uh, as you'll see in the graph, there's a couple uh, vertical uh, bars on there. And, and basically, the first one shows a very low dip in the numbers during a specific period of time. The one on the right shows 
an unexpected peak, and those are when you're going to want to take a look and say, you know, what is happening? So uh, we've identified an area that has interesting results. We want to try to attach those results to an external event that may have uh, thrown off our results, uh, and we need to flag it for further uh, investigation. If you go to uh, the next slide, there's basically two things that you need to focus on in terms of uh, detecting the impact of offline campaigns related to your online efforts. And the first thing you need to look at is, is magnitude of traffic. That is the unexpected spike that we detected in the previous graph. Anytime you have that spike, whether it's from external factors or internal, you really want to understand why you have a spike, what it's for, have that in your notes so you can come back to it. And anytime you're looking at your metric, whether it's testing or not testing or just general campaign conversion rates, uh, make sure you note those things so you really understand why things are happening to your traffic and they're not just guesses and they're not throwing off the results. The second one uh, is the nature of the response. So uh, this is a dramatic difference in the conversion rate of one of your campaigns or the traffic that's currently going to your site. So it might be the same level of traffic, might be the same number of visitors, but if there's a huge spike or a huge decrease in conversion rates, that's your second clue uh, to figure out if something else is going on with your campaigns that you really need to be aware of that might uh, uh, influence your, your smart business decision-making uh, capacity. Thanks, Jimmy, for that nice high-level look. But I, I want to dive a little deeper. Let's let's take a look at the numbers. If you are an ROI-based marketer, if data drives your decision, you want to get in there and understand how the metrics work. So we've invited Corey Trent from our optimization team, one of our analytics experts, so to speak, and he's going to tell us. He's going to show you uh, an analytics tool that you might be using in your own business, and show you some ideas on how you can set up metrics to monitor and measure your offline campaigns. All right, thanks, Dan. Uh, let's walk through a case study where we actually, uh, for a partner, implemented metrics technologies to track some of their offline campaigns and how that drove actual e-commerce uh, sales. Uh, we were contracted to work with a uh, alcohol recovery program, and what they were doing as a company was putting in different geographical regions radio ads uh, to drive traffic to their website to purchase one of their alcohol recovery programs. They have different ones that they offer on age groups and different levels of addiction that you're at. Um, so the goal was to run these different radio ads in all these markets and hopefully drive some sales. Well, as a very metrics-driven company, they also were very interested to see what radio ads uh, contributed most to sales? Where do they need to spend the most money in some of these markets um, and things of that nature? Um, so what we did is uh, the company in all of their radio ads uh, drove traffic to unique vanity URLs. Um, they made sure that they were very easy to understand, and that's a key point that we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, so <clears throat> when then each ad, they were sending people to a unique URL, which then would redirect them to the site. Um, so what we did is we ins set up their Google Analytics that it would track people that were coming from these different vanity URLs, which uh, to give a definition of vanity URL is just a different website URL that they were giving them that would, in, in effect, just redirect them to the site. It would be seamless and the user wouldn't even know. But we would set up Google Analytics to measure this traffic, and we were able to create goals and segmentation and reporting Based on this ad traffic from certain markets, what was actually converting? Um, and what was interesting is <clears throat> we not only gave them reports on traffic and things of that nature. I mean, that's good. You can see how many people are actually coming to your site. But we actually set up Google Analytics to nail down a bit deeper. So not only were we able to tell which markets were driving traffic, but down to a product level, we were able to see people in whatever market it was, um, we're buying mostly X product. And why is that important? Well, it leads us to be able to actually use online tracking to drive offline optimization. Because we could actually see for these individual markets what was actually working out. What were people buying? And so with that, we could do a couple things. One, we could optimize our radio ads to maybe just push those products. Maybe for that listener group in that area, uh, there's a need for certain products. Maybe it's we're not pushing hard enough some of our other products and we're leaving some people out in the dark. So it's just a very interesting case study to see 
how we were able to collect metrics online to see how our radio ads were doing to actually drive offline optimization and using the web to actually give us some markers on where we maybe need to improve um, our radio ads. Um, so we were also able then to back up the, uh, the data with an ROI calculation. For these markets, we're spending X, and how much are these markets generating us um, in the way of revenues and collecting all that in Google Analytics where it's you know, easy to read. Another thing I wanted to, to talk about for a little bit as well <coughs> is it's a false assumption that everyone listening to those radio ads is going to go to the vanity URLs. I mean, typically when you have a radio ad or direct print or something of that nature, you're going to be mentioning your company name somewhere in there. Um, so there is probably a high propensity that some people aren't particularly going to go to the vanity URL if it's not incentivized or something like that. Um, and they're just going to maybe Google your name and find out some information from you. So there's going to be people coming in from different channels to your website that uh, were actually triggered by that direct mail piece. So how do we somewhat take that into account? And again, this is not going to be rough, I mean, this isn't going to be exact science, um, but something to consider since we're talking about Google Analytics is one feature that is in the tool is called annotations. And basically what that allows you to do is make notes in your data when certain things occur. We have a screenshot here um, of the tool actually in use. So how you find this tool is when you're looking at your main dashboard, you'll see your, your main kind of graph or whatever metric you're selecting. And you'll see it's not highlighted, but there's a arrow down um, kind of button at the bottom of the graph. And that actually expands it out. And as you can see circled in red, um, those are some annotations and you can actually create them within there. So you're actually able to put kind of cheaters notes within your Google Analytics to let you know when certain things ran. So we have some examples here of, you know, radio ads that ran in certain markets at certain times. Well, then that allows us to then go look at our data and see, you know, do we see certain spikes at these demographic or these geographical regions? You know, setting up advanced segments to look at this information. Or if we start to see traffic spikes in and around these areas, again, it's not going to be an exact science, but we can start to see, you know, based on the orders that we're seeing that's maybe different than the baseline, how much can we roughly attribute maybe to some of these radio ads? And even within Google Analytics, you could use segmentation to look at purchases at a product level in certain geographical regions. So again, you got to also consider that people are going to come into your site different ways, even though you're sending out offline communication pieces, that doesn't mean that they're going to always follow your instructions. So you've got to take into consideration, again, them entering in from other paths. Um, so that's what we uh, set up annotations to do for us. We did get several questions in. Scott wrote in, have you found any certain length of URL that folks can remember? Uh, to, to answer that and not answer that, I would say that length is important. I wouldn't go over... Uh, four words typically for domains is kind of the start the cutoff of where people start to lose remembrance of uh, how to type things in and getting it semantically correct and then you run into problems of people then going into search engines and getting to your site. But what's also important to note is I wouldn't get, I mean, character limit of your URL is important and how many words you're using, but also think of the complexity as well. I, I touched on that in the points that I was going over, and I think that that, that gets lost sometimes. Uh, we have these hard rules of, okay, let's use a three-word domain, and then we'll have some variables at the end. So we'll keep to that rule. Um, but just as important as the amount and uh, the amount of words that are contained in your domain that you're using your vanity URL is, again, how complex it is. And c always consider your users at the forefront. Is this something that they're going to use um, and that you're not, again, shooting yourselves in the foot and trying to track every little uh, action that we're having online? Uh, we're not costing ourselves in the way of, uh, of, of the friction or the difficulty that uh, now the process has incurred. Um, I also wanted to back up and point something out as well. Um, Jimmy was just talking about two clues uh, for why uh, looking at offline potentially contributing to traffic increases um, being the magnitude of your traffic. 
what we're seeing more and more, especially depending on the uh, space that you work in, social media also now uh, has come into that realm as well. So while Dateline and them running a special and being viewed by millions of people can generate a lot of traffic, so can something that can catch on in the social media aspect, whether that be blogs or even Twitter and Facebook. Those now have such large audiences and networks that move at such speeds that those can also be places that you need to monitor as well and see if something is going on. And it could be a, a good thing on the sense of someone reporting uh, an awesome thing that your company has done, but it also could be a faux pas that you guys need to follow up with and that is also contributing to kind of some negative press. Um, so I did want to point out, you know, magnitude of traffic can be an offline aspect, but it can also be online, uh, you know, channels as well, especially social media now and getting to that point uh, that we're now all connected from the time that we wake up to the time we lay our heads down. You know, we're, we have a device in our hands. So just keep that in mind as well. So is that a threat of going viral? <laughs> threat to your test? Now that we've kind of taken a case study on how we've tracked some of the offline efforts um, to online sales and also keeping in mind some other data notations in there, what are some also considerations for tracking offline and online uh, efforts? Uh, many people use, you know, microsites and vanity URLs and subdomains. That can be a great, you know, tactic for tracking. What's also great about those in many cases is you're able to uh, either create a new brand or retain your own branding. For example, let's say you want to run a new campaign and you're branding it. Uh, I know, for example, Captain Morgan right now is running a Calling Your Captain uh, campaign, and they're branding it very hard, and it's, it's picking up a lot of steam through a lot of channels. So using microsites and vanity URLs can help you create a sub-brand if you're looking to attract a, another demographic. It also, again, allows you to track things because in your metrics you're able to see, you know, that site referring traffic and seeing how that's performing on your site. Um, but you can also use just general vanity URLs and see those redirects coming into your site and how they're performing. Um, the next thing that I would caution you based on that item, though, would be is be careful that with these tracking items that it's becoming too complicated for your users uh, to use. And, and, and the point here, making it complicated hoops for your users to jump through. I've seen a lot of people that get try to get really fancy and uh, really deep into tracking by adding a lot of tracking variables and uh, coupon codes and things like that. And what we see, especially, and this depends demographic to demographic, some, you know, will use these fine, others will not. But it comes to a point where they, they think, you know what, this is a little bit too complicated. I'm just going to go to the main site and see if I can figure this out um, that way. So just be careful in the effort to try to track offline with online that it doesn't become super complicated, that you get so concentrated with your data and tracking items that you're taking away from the user experience. In your efforts to track offline, don't cost yourselves conversions uh, with trying to get too, too deep into that tracking layer. Always consider it from a user standpoint. Is this still easy, for my, easy and natural for my users uh, to understand and use in this case, uh, and just keeping that in the forefront? I would also make sure that you consider the effects of uh, if, if you are overcomplicating your process, what I typically see from a lot of people is they, they incentivize the action. Like in the case of coupon codes or special URLs, they're like, you know, let's, we'll give them 30% off. That will ensure that they use our special tracking codes and it will work uh, and I'll get all the data I want. But what we find happening is and we teach this in some of our courses, and, and the attempt to make people use our tracking and uh, giving us this data, what ends up happening is that incentive is actually sometimes overriding the offer. So if you're trying to test some of your offline messaging and you're trying to find, you know, what direct mail piece works better or things of that nature, what ends up happening for some people is that incentive part is washing out the differences in the offer and you're not able to actually get valid results from that. So it kind of masks your data and what you're able to glean from that. So just be cautious of that because I see that quite frequently where people, you know, try to implement these very complicated tracking systems and in an effort to make people use them, they over-incentivize over them 
and that just causes them to not really understand what message is really working best. Um, but what it can also cause is frustration for uh, users. For example, if you're using kind of complicated systems and in channels that it's hard for people to remember, such as like TV or radio. If we have these complicated URLs or coupons that people have to remember, they can also get frustrated, especially if they're incentivized. You know, I just, how many of us have like seen that infomercial right at the last second as, you know, we're arriving to the channel and they're like, well, and that was the 50% off coupon. You know, people get frustrated and not uh, being able to potentially remember that. If it's a complicated code, they might not have a piece of paper by them and they're trying to write as fast as they can and then they get frustrated and mad. Um, so just be careful and again, I don't want to overdo that point, but always keep your users in the forefront and what they're having to do in this process doesn't, again, feel natural or are you costing yourselves uh, conversions or leads in that aspect. Um, lastly, some people do that. I would say a, a, a good amount of uh, online processes do this. I would say it's probably not implemented in the most effective way, but make sure that you're also following up with your users on how they arrived at that process, um, whether that be in your lead process or if you're selling, if you're B2C and you're selling items to users, make sure that in that process, that you're asking users, where, where did you hear about us? You know, what drove you to, you know, your sale today? I don't think that in the shopping cart necessarily might be the best place for some merchants. You might want to have just a very nice thank you page where you mention, you know, we're glad that you bought from us today in an effort to try to serve you better. Do you mind letting us know where you found out about us? That might be a better place for you. You might also, if it's a, a place where you have to log in and maybe it was a membership, maybe that's where you ask them on the first login. Those are all different places where you can test, but that can be very important information. In addition, when you're asking people these, these follow-up items, within your metrics, you can actually tag these events and then attribute that action to where these people came from. Uh, this is going to get kind of technical, but for example, since we use Google Analytics in the past, uh, in this web clinic earlier on, say for example we have a process where it, within the sales or lead process, we're asking people where they hear from us and we have a pre-selected list, whether that be search or uh, direct mail piece or an email marketing campaign, whatever it might be. Depending on a user selection and at the submit process, we can actually fire a recordable event in Google Analytics that will let us know that portion. And then from there, we can look back in our metrics and attribute what leads we have to users that select that. So that can be an, another way where we can kind of double check our work and see where people are actually learning about us and what's actually contributing to sales. Um, so those are just some considerations that I wanted to uh, give you guys for tracking. Um, I think that we have a world of possibility out there, but let's not forget the user um, and the processes that they have to jump through. So I'm going to hand it back over to Dan. Okay. Now we're going to go back to Jimmy ask our final question, what impact can your online efforts have offline? Here's how we can help our offline marketers. Take it away, Jimmy. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Uh, what, what we... The, the, the way I'm going to term it is, is in four words, uh, cost-effective pre-testing. Or maybe that's three words and a hyphen, either way you look at it. Um, but what we've discovered is there is no other medium like online where you can get uh, cost-effective traffic in a short period of time and test different pieces of your marketing materials uh, before you actually launch it offline. So it is this fantastic test bed. Uh, that you can use to basically uh, give your offline marketing a head start. Um, for us, we, we've used things like pay-per-click uh, to get traffic and pay-per-click ads to help evaluate the effectiveness of a value proposition. We've also used it to test copywriting. We've also used uh, pay-per-click ads and landing pages to help craft uh, the direct mail pieces, the, the wording, the headlines, subheadlines, the imaging, almost every piece to see which one gets the best response and then have launched that same campaign that's already outperforming other ideas and other variations that we've had and then taken it offline uh, to get a better response. If you uh, hit the next slide real quick, we'll show you some examples of that. So what we're saying is that 
the, the online and test testing allows you to test different elements. Here, for example, we have headlines. Uh, these are two that you could easily test for an example product. The most accurate mailing list available versus get 500 free leads added to your purchase. You know, focusing on a value-based statement versus incentive. Uh, the next one, you can see the images that we have on the screen. Uh, one is just a little bit larger, a little bit more clear. Uh, we can see if we can make an impact with the images online and then take that to the on offline curriculum. Uh, the third piece is the layout of information. Uh, for example, in this offline test, there's a vertical list of options. The second one is a chart or graph. Uh, you know, if we can figure out which of those styles communicates most effectively online, it most, in many cases, it will translate directly to the offline response. If you go to the next slide, we have, you know, basically, uh, these are what we say are three, are three main advantages of the online testing. So one is cost. Like I said, you can spend, you know, 500 bucks and get a, a bunch of unique visitors. That would be your ideal target market that you can use to test and then send that traffic to a landing page and really get a better understanding uh, than any type of focus group, any type of offline uh, effort could produce. Uh, the second is speed. Nowhere else do we know of that you can, in a single day, create a campaign based on specific keywords, create your ad, and start sending traffic to a page, or start running ads and detecting a response in terms of click-through rate. The other one is, is reliability. I mean, there's just more consistent sampling uh, for shorter periods of time. We don't have to go put together a group of uh, who we think are our ideal customers. We can go directly to them, uh, you, know, for, you know, through pay-per-click, whether it's Google, Yahoo, or MSN, and write, craft our ad, uh, pick our keywords, uh, describe our offer, and you're ready to rock. So uh, there's some really, really huge advantages that we've seen. Uh, we think it is absolutely priceless, especially uh, if you're doing a lot of offline that typically costs, you know, uh, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and into the millions of dollars to do a single run in a direct mail type of campaign or offline advertising efforts. So on a final note, you know, we want to talk about the importance of mirroring audiences. And this is just a description of how your online and offline efforts would translate. So if your audiences online are almost identical offline, then your pre-testing that you could do online will have a very significant impact because they're pretty much the same audience. If they are not the same audience, if they behave differently, if they're just a totally different demographic online and offline, and the reasons that they would buy or use your service are, are, are widely different, then you probably won't have as much uh, increase by pre-testing online and then taking it offline. So just keep that in mind. If they're similar, it's fantastic. If they're, if they're greatly different, uh, then you want to run some, some tests to see how well it goes, but uh, in many, many instances, it's not going to have as big of an impact. Thanks, Jimmy. We're in danger of running over, but we, we, we got some live optimization submissions. We want to give them some justice. I'm going to limit my optimizers here to just one or two quick comments. If you've ever been to a live event, they can go very long and go on this for hours, and you'll miss lunch and even be happy about it. But let's just take a quick look at, at some of the... Uh, this is from Get Your Name On. It was submitted by Raphael. This is a, a domain name registration and web hosting service. What you're looking at is a quarter-page flyer that was distributed at Macworld Expo 2010, and the target audience was anyone interested in creating a website, probably everyone on the line. So, Gina, what, what, what can we uh, do better here? Yeah, I mean, this really ties into what I was talking about earlier in the case studies. I mean, you look at the flyer, and, you know, there's a lot of offers here, but then if you go to the landing page... Some of the, I mean, I don't really see those offers carried through here. I mean, you can see them as you're kind of like really reading through this page, but it's really copy heavy. So, I mean, really, I, the biggest opportunity that I see here is probably creating a, a landing page specific to that flyer because this looks like a home page. Um, also, just making it easier for the customers who, who saw the flyer and were going to this landing page to find those offers that were specified on the uh, flyer. Okay, let's do one more live optimization real quick. This was submitted by Stephanie. This is a lifelong learning and self-assessment study guide to help the audience prepare for American Board of Emergency Medicine exam, and the target audience is board-certified emergency medicine physicians. Jimmy, what, what are, what's your input on this? So, so quickly for EB Medicine, uh, what we're looking at is this is an actual pamphlet. 
and not like a traditional direct mail piece. And this pamphlet, from what you can see, it lists uh, pricing options and all these different options for their uh, actual course or, or learning uh, materials. And it is doing all of the selling. So in terms of the landing page, if you go to the next slide, but this is the pamphlet that you see. Go to the next slide. When you land here, this page is doing additional selling. And most likely, the people that saw the pamphlet do not need additional selling. This is just stuff that's going to be getting in the way. And, and so here would be a strategy that I would test with this particular uh, direct mail piece of landing page. I would have a landing page that has a really good headline, has a really good screenshot of what you're going to get, and then goes right into the options they can select to order. And that is it. No more selling, no more bullet points, no more extra stuff that they need. It's really uh, getting this customer to take action quickly because they've already been sold. So that was that's kind of the quick and dirty on EB medicine. <laughs> Thank you for that. Jimmy, one more quick and dirty I'm going to ask you for. Sum up everything we heard today. If I hang up the phone right now, how can I get better marketing or ROI this week, this quarter, this year, what, what points should I keep in mind? Key principles. So there's a significant potential in identifying and connecting offline response to online engagement. The second one, relevance plus continuity equals conversion. So the more relevant and the better you connect it, the higher your conversion rate. Third point, monitoring the effect external factors have on your online campaigns not only give you insights in how to be relevant to your visitors' motivations, but also protects you from making invalid test conclusions. So don't let external events ruin your test results and, uh, and eventually ruin your budgets. Uh, the fourth point is online testing is a powerful resource for discovering the most effective messaging for offline campaigns. We just ran through that. I gave you a bunch of examples. It is the most fantastic test bed that we know of uh, to pre-test offers and save you a lot of money. And that is it. Okay, and you just heard about some of our success stories. We want to hear some of yours. We're not the only people that are able to do successful experiments. We know a lot of marketers out there are doing some good work, too. We'll even make it worth your while. It could be a $4,000 landing page optimization package for our favorite story and feature you in a web clinic like this one. Also, if you'd like to learn more about online marketing ROI, we're touring the country. We've been all over the place. We're heading to Houston, San Francisco, Boston, and Toronto. If you like what Jimmy said, he's going to be a few of those dates. You can see him live and in person. And if you didn't like him, fortunately, we've got a lot better speakers that are on the road right now that you can hear from, too. So thank you for bearing with us through these technical difficulties. I hope it was worth your while. The replay will be available in about a week. You can hear about it by signing up for the Marketing Experiments email at marketingexperiments.com. If you're interested about to hear about our training, head to markingexperiments.com slash training. If you want to learn how to become a research partner, you can visit markingexperiments.com slash partners and talk to Jimmy himself more about it. So we just ask you to please help us improve these web clinics, make them better so you can learn more. There will be a survey that comes up as you close out of this. Please fill it out for us, and thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.